Welcome to episode 9 of season 2 of the Search with Candor podcast, recorded on Wednesday the 9th of March 2022. My name is Mark Williams-Cook and I'm joined by my co-host Jack Chambers and today we will be talking about SERP features, some new search result types, as well as a helpful glossary, a new Sitebulb server version, some more GPT-3 tools that are quite amazing, and Bing professional service ads, as well as a little update on Google Analytics 4. Search with Canva is supported by Systrix, the SEO's toolbox. Go to systrix.com SWC if you want to check out some of their excellent free tools, such as SERP snippet validators, on-page analysis, hreflang validation, page speed comparison, and tracking your site's visibility index. That's systrix.com slash SWC for free tools and to sign up for the free trial of their premium tools as well. So we'll kick off the show talking about some SERP features, shall we, Mark? Yes, I love a good SERP feature. Don't don't we just? Us SEOs bloomin' love a SERP feature. And there's a fantastic glossary written by Paige Hobart, the head of SEO over at Roast. We'll put links, as always, in the show notes if you go to search.withcanda.com. .co.uk. You can find the links to everything we're going to talk about on the show, but we'll start off with this lovely little glossary. And it is a really nicely presented interactable list of pretty much every SERP feature you could possibly want and possibly think about, and even some you probably haven't heard of. And initially this came up when we were talking about SERP features for a client the other day, and I know you were looking at something, Mark, and you found a SERP feature, and I was like, aha, I've just found this SERP features glossary. (laughs) I found it on there as well. Yeah, it was. Um, I hadn't seen it before. It was a, a research carousel. So it was for a client that sells mattresses and Google had a little carousel. So when we talk about SERP features, we're, we're really talking about anything. Pretty much it isn't like a traditional organic results. So it could be featured snippets, could be PAAs, or in this case, this, this carousel where it said research, and then it had different kind of guides to researching mattresses. And I hadn't actually seen it before, so I went through that whole, oh, wow, have I found something new? And then the, I better not mention it on Twitter because I'll get told that it's actually like <laughs> uh, three years it's old. It's been around for years, Mark. Haven't you been paying attention? But yeah. The usual crowd, yeah. Barry will be straight there with not, <laughs> with not new. Um, so I asked, I asked in the safe place, the safe place of the office first to see if anyone had found it. And yeah, you came back with this guide and and actually Paige has done a really nice job here because there was quite a few, not quite a few, but there was a, f- a couple of, of actually SERP features on there that I wasn't particularly aware of. Like I think like the SOS one, um, a couple of others like that. Yeah, there's the obvious ones. I'm sure a lot of the listeners know about featured snippets and FAQs and all Google hotels, Google flights, if you're in that kind of industry as well. But even going through to more specific stuff like knowledge cards for sports and knowledge panels for specific brands going through like places obviously places and map packs you see map packs and stuff all the time and all that kind of thing it's a brilliant brilliant list and almost 50 of them in total and yeah you can dive and have a look there's little examples there there's even gauges of how much impact they have on the SERP itself and how useful they think it will be in terms of you know using it for your SEO and PPC strategies and all that kind of stuff and yeah, highly, highly recommend checking that out if you are wanting to learn a bit more about SERP features or like Mark, you saw something recently and thought, huh, I've never noticed that before. 
they can give you a little bit more information in that glossary as well. One thing I'm, I, w- I will add in on the show notes, um, just because I found it really interesting, it's a slight tangent, was actually about mattresses. So when I was having this discussion, so we were actually consulting, helping someone on a client that sells mattresses. And I was saying to them, do you know how competitive this sector is? And they were they were new to kind of this, this sector and, and SEO, to be honest. And um, I pointed them towards an article, a really interesting long form story. Um, as I say, I'll put the link on the show notes. Uh, it's on fastcompany.com and it's this story that was posted in 2017 uh, all about the, the mattress wars between various affiliates and just how much money and SEO effort went into mattresses because they're fairly high ticket items. You know. Yeah, you're usually talking hundreds of pounds oh, at you a can, time, right? Yeah, I mean, this company we're talking to sells like two, three thousand pound mattresses. Wow. You know, and, and pretty a much... A mattress or a car, you watch yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> pretty much everyone needs a mattress. So like they're, they're a good kind of affiliate, you know, target. And I was showing them actually some of the competitors that highlighted that had you know, apart from doing a really excellent job with their on-site SEO, you could see the all the clear signs from looking at the backlink profile of all of the content that had been done for years and years to attract links. And yeah, we'd, we'd backtrack some of the content like five or six years, I think, wasn't it? And oh, yeah, it was even, even further than that. Yeah. I mean, and this was just saying to them, look, you know, it's, if you want to, because they're new in this country to the to the market, um, without saying who they are, but just saying, look, it's the water's pretty deep already, so you need to come in kicking if you wanna if you wanna stand a chance. But I'll post that story. Um, it's just a really interesting. If you're interested in online marketing, affiliate marketing, you know SEO, it's a really interesting uh, story to read about, kind of the dark underbelly of the affiliate side of stuff. But yeah, this um, this glossary by Page really great, good reference for even if you're really familiar, as Jack said, with these different features it also gives you um, some estimates about impact and importance of them as well which is really nice if you're learning um, yeah link in the show notes and kind of spinning off of that funnily enough talking of the has anyone ever seen this cert feature kind of thing that happens on twitter regularly a tweet from jonah sickler uh, flagged up on my twitter the other day he mentioned lily ray of course who has been on the show before fantastic lily ray and was asking about whether she had seen subdomains appear in indented search results before and kind of went back and forth on Twitter a lot. I know Lily had said she'd not seen it, but a few people specifically from sort of the very specific tech industry, very like focused on cybersecurity and support and things like that, where you often get that support subdomain coming into things or a tech subdomain or something like that. They had seen it a few times before, but something to think about, something to feature. Uh, Yeah, that might be featured more going forward yeah I, I saw this and i kind of wasn't wasn't that interested <laughs> in it but i can i can see why people are talking about it because i saw some people mentioning oh this is surprising that it's an indented result because it's proof that google doesn't treat subdomains as different websites and that's sometimes cited as a reason as to why you should use subfolders over subdomains but i do think if you're Thinking about it literally like that, you are thinking about it incorrectly. Mm. Google's always said, look, we try and work out the relationship between subdomains and, and domains. And, you know, Google says, oh, you know, just do whatever's best. It doesn't matter if you use a subdomain or subfolder. I mean, again, in my own anecdotal experience in 
<laughs> lots and I, I know the plural uh, i know the you know the the plural of anecdote isn't you know data but everyone <laughs> i know basically has had better results uh, with subfolders there's been some a few sort of fairly controlled experiments that have shown that so i don't think it's the correct way to th to think about it to say google treats them subdomains as different websites but I believe there is a stage Google has to go through to work out if they are connected yeah. or not. Because they've got to be internal links, right? There must be a possibly some hints yeah. there. I would yeah. think. I yeah. know Lily so mentions it, that in one of the replies. Like rather than treating it as a separate site, the Google following the internal links and kind of understanding the relationship between the primary domain and the subdomain and trying to understand where that's coming from and how that is relevant to that page. I would guess that that subdomain is linked somewhere on the page and, and that would be the way it pulls through. Yeah, Seems absolutely. like an obvious answer. I mean, but... I mean, yeah, it'll be, I imagine it'll be multi-factorial and there's a whole yeah, bunch of, of things Google's looking at. But like, I wouldn't expect to Google WordPress and then see indented search results for like randomers blogs because they're hosted <laughs> on WordPress.com. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's obviously something going on there. So I still think it's the safer bet to use um, subfolders in most cases, not in all cases. We we had some very specific case the other day where uh, we had a company wanting to target uh, internationally and they had a country code TLD for lots of boring reasons they couldn't change. So in that case, I would say it would definitely be better to use a subdomain rather than trying to host a French language french version of a site say on a dot co uk forward slash fr because that's giving some really weird signals to everyone yeah dot co dot uk slash fr yeah. is very very confusing so I, I you know if anything that little bit of buffer between the sites if you can get it might be helpful um but yeah it's kind of interesting kind of not um maybe it's good it's a good kind of thought process to go through take in all all these results you see and then let that massage your thinking about actually how it's working because nobody can actually tell you precisely well nobody working in seo can tell you precisely <laughs> how that's working um, but it's all good information to, to know Sitebulb server version is something I would like to talk about that I just saw just actually before we decided to record this today so if you go to sitebulb.com forward slash sitebulb hyphen server, you will see you can now register for interest for the sitebulb server version, which is really interesting. So we, we covered sitebulb obviously a lot. They sponsored our season one. Uh, we had Patrick on the show in episode 68 who talked all about SEO site audits. He talked about the history of sitebulb and uh, just how it came about the tool. So you can go listen to that if you want to know more about kind of Sitebulb in general. But what interested me here is Sitebulb for us as an agency is, is obviously it's a desktop-based SEO tool. We've got cloud-based software as a service, kind of SEO auditing tools as well. Different horses for different courses, different tools for different problems. Because some of the inherent issues with desktop tools are to do with scaling and how many sites you can do um, what you can actually use your computer for while it's doing that and Sitebulb had a had a little bit of or a kind of ways around this in that they they did things like scheduling so you could leave Sitebulb set up on a computer and it could run a scheduled crawl maybe overnight 
Um, but what they're doing with this server version is, is quite different. So the Cybulb server version, what it's, what it's designed to do is run on a dedicated server machine. And ideally there, ideally I do mean a server, not kind of the old Dell laptop you've got in the cupboard. <laughs> Chuck, Chuck a laptop in the cupboard, exactly. Yeah, yeah so yeah. I, I actually, um, Patrick was kind enough to have a quick chat with me as well uh, this afternoon before we recorded this, just to give me a little bit more information. So I asked him actually about, well, what is what do you recommend that people would run this server version on? And he said that they will obviously release some recommended specs, but we're talking about, um, you know, 128 gig of RAM, Windows Server Edition computer, a couple of terabytes hard drive, ideally SSD. It's, it's the kind of thing normally if you'd rent a server, it's going to cost you maybe 100, 200 pounds a month. Okay. Which may sound a lot. Yeah. But then actually, if you're paying for some of these higher end cloud crawling tools, you can easily get into the hundreds or actually, you know, over a thousand pounds a month uh, for these tools. If you're thinking about millions and millions of URLs, multiple sites at once, you're really, really doing it at a large scale. It really does. The price also scales for that as well, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, <laughs> that's kind of the hook, right, of, these, <laughs> of the SaaS tools, which is like, oh, wow, this looks cheap and powerful. And then by the time they've stapled on all the bells and whistles <laughs> the invoice at the end uh, as i know is quite a lot bigger so what's different with the server version of sitebulb is basically you have this um, version running on your server and with any sitebulb pro desktop version you can connect to this server version so there's a little icon and you can literally click on it and it will essentially kind of magic up the all of the audits and settings on the server version on your local machine as if as if you're running it there your team anyone in your team can connect to that server i really like that idea of being able to because i know you and i have talked about this before mark i did a crawl back when i first started at kind of my first time using salt site there my first time using Sitebulb when i joined kanda and you were like oh send me your crawl and i was like how do I do that? It's like, okay, you can export this file, send me over, I'll run it on my version, blah, 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 blah. Having a whole team or even like international teams being able to access is one thing. Sounds really, really useful. Yeah, I mean, even even now, sometimes I do crawls at home and then I have to export them and take them into work, which is kind of <laughs> annoying. Yeah. I know some people are using uh, remote desktops to run them on a server, but again, you've got to then transfer that export which can be quite big yeah they can locally which can be tricky again over rdp um the other cool thing though is not only can your team all connect to that but your sitebulb pro desktop can connect to multiple servers meaning if you have clients which you likely do if they've got an seo team that have sitebulb they can run this server version and you can log into their sitebulb and actually then see what crawls what audits they've been doing so it's a really nice way you know there's that whole kind of thing in programming the dry thing the don't repeat yourself and i think that's what's making this really nice which is you're not all having to repeat the same crawls especially if it's you know half a million urls that's yeah. hours of crawling uh, wasted and um, the other the other features to the server edition of this is you can crawl up to five million urls so that's pretty much all but the very biggest sites. 
Um, they literally use bbc.co.uk on the example uh, yeah. <laughs> on the example video on the page there. And you can do, which you can't do on the current site bulb, you can do concurrent crawling. So the current site bulb, you can put in, say, five sites to audit and it will queue them up and do one at a time. With this version, you can actually audit multiple sites at once. So again, obviously, if you've got a server with a big old chunky internet connection, because that's what you're going to need, this is this is a really good way to scale up Sitebulb if you've got lots of clients or if you've got really big sites. So really excited about that. There's no um, launch date on the site. I did um, kind of ask Patrick a few times uh, and obviously they don't want to promise like a specific month because, you know, he gave the best response when I asked if it's going to be ready, which is basically when they're happy with it. <laughs> um, which, it, which, to be honest, I really respect in software development, you know, especially even in things like, you know, games development. When you push for a hard release date, you will get crap published because you will find bugs. And you know, there's also the term crunch in the gaming industry, which is the where, OK, we're coming up to publish date. It's the last month, two months, even three months sometimes. And we have to get this done. So that means massive amounts of overtime. Everybody's unhappy, massive like mental health issues and stress for the whole team and all that kind of stuff. I think that is a, when we're happy with it is the perfect approach for launching a new product or launching a new service and actually making sure, you know, you and your team are happy with it and they're happy with it themselves and you're not completely stressing everyone out at the last minute. Patrick has assured me though they're going to be happy with it in Q2. There you go. <laughs> so Guaranteed happiness in Q2. Between like April, June time. Um, I think they're close. He said they're close. So it's not far away is what I'm trying to say to you. So register for interest for that. Um, I think it's definitely something we'll be doing because it's going to essentially it's going to save, save, save us time. So, yeah, site bulb, server edition. looks good. In the last episode, we covered a really neat GPT-3 regex tool made by Danny Richman. Actually, I hadn't realized at the time, Danny's published a few different tools that are powered by GPT-3. There's, I saw yesterday, a palette chooser, which you can basically enter any word, brand, object, and it will generate kind of a color-matched palette for that. Oh, so you cool. can put like children's bedroom or like snowed forest or something like that. And it does a really, really good job. But one I wanted to cover because I was dead impressed with it, which basically is apparently my default response to anything with GPT-3, is he's released a Google Sheet that is really easy to use, which is an emotional goal and copy generator. So what is a emotional goal and copy generator when it is at home? <laughs> it is a Google Sheet where you can essentially enter a product or service and then this sheet for you will give you a statement of the emotional goal and it will try and write some ad copy for you. Now, the emotional goal thing itself, I think is really impressive because I think that's actually something easy to, if you're not experienced at writing ads, to kind of breeze over and not actually think what is the 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 core thing here so in danny's example video he types in safari vacation as the kind of product or service gpt3 has a little think and it says the emotional goal 
is to experience the wild. Mm. Which I think, it, like, again, yeah. for a computer, I'm like, well, yeah, I probably couldn't distill it any better than that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it came up with this goal-based ad copy. Safari vacations are the best way to experience the wild. Travel the most exciting places in Africa and come face to face with the wildlife. That's pretty spot on, isn't it? Like, may maybe your safari isn't in Africa specifically, but it's kind of hard to argue with that result. Like, how succinct and how... Um, simultaneously succinct and specific it is it is seriously impressive stuff and being able to do it like you said through sheets using OpenAI's gpt3 doing that whole thing on to a larger scale as well it's just really cool and really impressive so i i got this sheet set up and to set this up all you need to do is go to the url which we'll put in the show notes search dropwithcanda.co.uk you need to go to OpenAI and get a free API key, which is as simple as just clicking sign in with Google to get an account. And then you can just click on API and there'll be an API key and you copy and paste that into the sheet. So I tried a couple of products just to see what it'd say. So I tried, uh, we were talking about mattresses earlier. So I typed in memory foam mattress and our survey says our emotional <laughs> goal was to feel comfortable. <laughs> which again is, is spawn. That's, yep, that's the absolutely. main thing you want from mattress, yeah. isn't it? That's um, the most popular answer from our audience. <laughs> the goal-based copy was our memory foam mattresses are designed to provide you with a comfortable night's sleep. It's a yeah. bit basic, but yeah. does the job, right? Like I think it's not necessarily about writing the copy for you, but getting you in that right direction, right? It, it's establishing that emotional beginning for you and i know it's the classic the age-old marketing thing going back to you know way before seo was a thing and before all this kind of you know digital marketing stuff came around in the sort of you know 20th century 21st century you want to make your customers feel something you want to make your potential customers feel something about your products and about your service and it gets you it's a little nudge in the right direction i think that is perfect for then taking that and using that as a little guideline and a template to then flesh out your ad copy with a bit more specifics and a bit more interesting stuff on top of that. So as you were talking then, I just tried another one. So I typed in landlord insurance. That's how fast it is, folks. Literally, as I finish that sentence, Mark is on it. The emotional goal of landlord insurance is to gain peace of mind. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, insurance. Yeah, yeah. And the copy is a bit better, well, a bit more in depth this time. It says, choose our landlord insurance to gain peace of mind with the highest level of cover you can get. You'll be fully protected against damage, repairs, medical expenses, fire damage, and theft. Wow. Now, obviously, if you're selling that product, you need to be sure that it does all those things yeah. and it is the highest level of cover and it does protect you against those things. But this is obviously not around your specific product. This is saying to you, this might be a good ad. This is what um, I'm seeing. I've been trained on. So... Again, as a base to go from, I, th I think it's, you know, it's absolutely phenomenal. And I think you can use this anyway in general with your copywriting. So because this works with loads of really specific things that maybe you don't know about. So if you've got uh, clients with particularly niche products, you can just pop them in here. And then when you're doing your copywriting, think about the emotional goal, even if you're not doing PPC ads, if you're just doing yeah, content yeah. for the page. It's um, that emotional grounding, right? Because I think... But I know I'm totally guilty of this and, and plenty of others are as well. You kind of forget what you're trying to make your customers feel about you, this article, your brand, your client, however you want to put it. I think it's a really interesting little nudge to kind of remind a lot of digital marketers like, hey, 
there's emotion behind this. There are humans on the other end of this. It's not just about optimizing for bots and crawlers and all this kind of stuff. There are users on the other end of that and users, are, but they tend to be human, right? You're going to be writing for people at the end of the day to become customers, become clients, use your service, whatever it is your your end of the end of the line goal is, the, the end of that funnel. I think establishing that emotional core is really key. And like you said, Mark, it works for ad copy. It works for like long-term and longer pieces of content as well. Uh, the last thing I've typed in here, as I'm still playing I with I it, love this playing with tools live on the show. Is I put designer sunglasses and the emotional goal, it basically lines up with what you said. Is to, It says it's to feel attractive. Yeah. Now, obviously there's a functional thing about sunglasses and UV and I, I don't know whether it's just picked up on the fact that obviously I've said designer sunglasses, but that's, you know, the the goal of if I've specifically said I'm buying a, you know, a, a designer pair of sunglasses is because, yeah, you want to look attractive. Yeah. If you're just putting cheap sunglasses or just sunglasses, there's less of that emotional tie towards the look side of it. Right. I think that attractiveness totally makes sense there. So, yeah, we will put a link to this and the other couple of the other tools that Danny's made, but really, really great stuff. Um, and again, it's all free. So check it out. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we are sponsored by Systrix here at Search with Candor. And I'm going to dive into a little thing that the wonderful people over at Systrix told us about that is the keyword discovery side of things. And you can actually have a look at wider trends across the internet and also if you have the social media plugin as part of the Systrix overall package, if you have that part as part of your Systrix license, you can have a look at what's trending currently on YouTube, what's trending on TikTok, what's trending on Instagram. And the main one, of course, I've been looking at is the SEO side of things, looking at the keyword discovery and the trends. Interestingly enough, uh, whatever you do, football is on that list. Football is always popular no matter where you're searching, when you're searching. It seems like football is always a popular topic. And that doesn't surprise me. It's the biggest sport in the world, right? That kind of makes sense. But this is based on a about a seven-day moving average. So the last seven days, and it's specifically looking at things that have changed the most. So what is currently kind of creeping up and crawling up on that little graph there you see where... It was somewhere, now it's really getting noticed and really picking up speed on a lot of different websites and a lot of searches and things like that. So maybe something you can use to plan content if you're looking to be particularly topical with your trends you're covering on your site or with your client or something like that. Use the keyword discovery trends tool and have a little delve into there as well. And it's a little sneaky thing that yeah, you might be able to use to get ahead of the game, get on board of those trends and you can actually see there's kind of a meter of how far how far that trend is, how hot that trend is, essentially, and you can see how how much it's trending at the moment and basically how hot that topic is. So if you want to be really topical and dive into something, and I know a lot of people doing outreach and PR, you need to be really hot on that stuff as it's happening and even just before it's happening, so you beat people to the punch there and you get that coverage, highly recommend checking out the keyword discovery and trends part of Systrix. As again, links in the show notes if you do want to go and use that. And if you have a Systrix account, you can go and check that out directly from the links in the show notes. So we're back with our dear old friend, GA4. Everybody's favorite topic to talk about. I actually had a conversation with Luke in the studio, uh, one of our search specialists here. And he actually said he liked GA4 the other day. The first person I have ever met. Where I brought up that subject and went, yeah, actually, I quite like it. So 
That's a pretty niche subject to be bringing up with people, though, isn't it? That's not <laughs> dinner SEO, party. Though, like, yeah, <laughs> we've talked about SEO dinner parties here before. Like, I'm sure the Brighton SEO parties are full of this. Kind of, there's karaoke and there's GA4 discussions going on. It's the real sexy topics going on. So he is now our self, self-proclaimed GA4 specialist. I did threaten to get him on the show, and he was very uncomfortable with that. <laughs> maybe we'll hear from our search specialist, Luke, in the future, dear listeners, but uh, maybe not. I'll see if I can convince him. But what I do actually want to talk about very quickly is an update on the homepage of GA4, and they've basically revitalized and updated that whole thing where you can look at the five main categories on the homepage. So if you look at the overview, you've got real-time, you've got recently viewed, because you view frequently, and insights. And they're basically five different categories that you can break down. An overview shows metrics that are relevant to you based on your behavior in analytics. Real-time shows activities as they're happening using data from the real-time report. If you've used Google Analytics before, it's not dissimilar to the one you've used in the universal analytics side of things. Recently viewed provides links to parts of analytics you visited most recently. So if you're particularly paying attention to conversions or particularly paying attention to tracking particular events or whatever it is, there's a handy little link in there as well. Because you view frequently shows cards you view often and insights shows any unusual changes, emerging trends and other insights about your sites and apps as well. So a bit more of a breakdown and a bit more detail coming into the GA4 homepage there. We'll finish with a bit of Bing. And Bing has, along with a whole bunch of other stuff over the last few months, been launching some new ad types, some new features. And they've recently launched Bing Professional Service Ads in the USA and Canada. And I will read out their description um, of these. Um, just I've This is kind of the benefit of this podcast, which is I've taken their whole like thousand word post on it cut out the sales kind of patter <laughs> and just telling you what it is. So professional service ads are intent triggered rich placements that provide real time information to consumers about your agents, advisors and consultants, all with no keywords required. With the spot on the right rail of the Bing search engine results page running alongside your text ads, you can showcase your professionals more prominently than ever. So basically, this is, as it says, running alongside your kind of standard ads. And they've given examples for insurance, real estate and tax services. And it's showing individuals. So their names, their years of experience, where they're based, etc. And you also have companies in there as well. That I thought was interesting. When I first, when you first brought this up for us to discuss on the show, I'd assumed it was like, oh, wow. That's really good for freelancers and stuff like, or maybe picking, selecting a particular specialist in that particular branch or your office or whatever it is and highlighting them as, like you said, Mark, the person with the most experience in that particular service or something like that. But you can actually highlight specific branches or an entire office of your company as well, which I think is interesting as well. Now, I think it's interesting in, in general because it, it's a marketing discussion I've had quite a few times around um basically brands and and people and i don't like calling it personal branding but you know people there's you know there's a saying people buy from people and especially with smaller companies it's normally the individual that gets recommended or individuals that become known and even actually with you know big companies you know bill gates was microsoft um you know steve jobs was kind of apple and and people 
you know, develop those kind of relationships easier with a, with a human than, than a brand. So I think it's interesting, especially for um, the, the things that they've listed here as, you know, professional services. So they've given insurance, real estate, tax services are all things that have a high level of personal trust. So I do think it's, it's interesting from a advertising point of view, being able to show this is the, this is genuinely one of the people that's going to you know be working with you or you know be helping you sell your house or sorting out your accounts or insurance almost the opposite to when you see the stock photos that people use on live chat <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah i know i've picked up on that quite a few times before and i think once you're kind of aware of stock photos you can't unsee it in a lot of ways i think it's really beneficial kind of going back to what we we're talking about with establishing that emotional connection in marketing again kind of bringing everything full circle on this episode, like we like to do here at Search with Canda, is you get a face, you get a name, you get a, a little picture and a little description and stuff. It's not just, oh, here's a logo. There you go. Click on the thing. You can actually have, Jack has five years of experience and has been doing this and blah, 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 and has worked in multinational companies and blah, 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 blah. You get all the different descriptions and yeah, it's a nice little way to add a bit of humanity and a bit of personality to those ads in, in a nice way as well. So let's talk about how these ads actually are going to work. So as I said, they're dynamically generated, but this is based on data you provide in a feed, such as your plan type, organization category, registration status, different URLs. And Bing's saying the more details you provide in the feed file, obviously the more information they can include in your ads. I'm sure as with most feed-based advertising programs, there will be required and optional fields that you can do. Bing said they're still in the early stages of this pilot, but surprise, surprise, advertisers have seen great performance so far. As if Bing would say, it's gone really badly, but please keep spending money with us. So Bing says for advertisers using professional service ads, conversion rates have increased by about 60% compared to regular text ads. And, and they're not haven't been 100% clear here because this does say earlier that these run alongside regular text ads. So that I don't know if that's directly clicks on these new ads or whether it's improved yeah. the other ads or Is it both. Comparing like for like text ads for the same product or same service with that. Yeah, I guess that, that must be a way of doing it. The other kind of statement around performance they've given is on average advertisers have seen cost per acquisition decrease by 67 percent compared to overall performance in their campaigns again overall performance i'm not sure whether that includes things outside of text ads there because 67 percent reduction in cpa is a lot is a staggering yes amount. it's more than a lot you know if i said <laughs> to a client oh hey we're gonna enable this new feed thing oh it's gonna cost it's gonna cut your cost per acquisition by two-thirds you know that's gonna be jaw on table <laughs> thing it's not you know so i mean i'm a little bit to be honest skeptical about these figures i can't see bing suddenly reducing most people's cpa by 67 percent just by enabling a feed with some faces on it while yeah. they are nice. Um, I'm sure it will be beneficial. Um, but yeah, I'm my jury's out on that until I actually see it working myself. Mechanics-wise, you can participate in the professional service ads auction with the campaign associated to your feed file. And you can 
also participate in the text ad auction with your regular campaigns. So this means you can serve in both the text ad block and the professional service ad block simultaneously. And professional service ad auctions are CBC based. So they're charging on a cost per click basis, kind of like your regular text ads. So that's available at the moment in the USA and Canada. So I suspect us poor lot in the United Kingdom will get it sometime this year. That's all we've got time for in this episode. I hope you have enjoyed it. Jack and myself will, of course, be back in one week's time, which will be Monday, the 21st of March. And until then, I hope you have a wonderful week and tune in for the next episode.